Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. When your situation or the trauma is so awful that you become overwhelmed, what happens is that we can't cope with overwhelm very well. Our nervous systems just can't cope. And that's where people then disconnect from themselves. They disconnect from their feelings and they describe that experience as depression. But it's not a disease. It's not an illness. It's just a position of the nervous system. So I get people who will come to me because they've been referred with depression, right? And they're on their antidepressants and they come see me for QVC. And I start looking in the history and we start clearing some of their traumas. Within two or three sessions, they say, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm feeling fine. You know, can I stop my tablets? And I usually say, go and see your GP about that. It's not for me to, to do that. But, but the so-called depression, which they've had for eight years, is suddenly going in two sessions because what I'm doing is I'm bringing them out of the state of freeze of the autonomic nervous system. So they're getting back in touch with themselves again. They can feel again. They're alive again. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Melanie, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm privileged. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually found out about your story because you wrote in to tell me a little bit about the work you do around trauma and um, just this whole idea of, you know, healing trauma and, you know, all sorts of mental health ailments without necessarily resorting to pharmaceuticals kind of, you know, was something I knew I would be interested in. I knew our listeners would be interested in. But uh, before we get into all of that, I wanted to start by asking you, where in the world did you grow up and how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your career? All right. Well, I grew up, I was born and grew up in South Africa, and I studied medicine in Johannesburg uh, and eventually moved to the UK uh, in the 70s when I was newly married with and my children were, were born here. So the rest of the time was, was living in England, uh, where I became a GP uh, and, and specialized in general practice. Um, so for the next sort of 25 years, I was a GP, yes, in the UK. Mm. So how did, you know, being born and raised in South Africa, I assume probably this was, you know, pre-apartheid as well, correct? Yeah, or oh, during absolutely. The apartheid. Yeah. So I mean, how did yeah, that yeah. influence and shape your worldview to be in an environment like that? Because I think that it's one thing for those of us who have never experienced it to read about it, to watch stories about it, to watch movies about it. But I think it's an entirely different thing to experience at firsthand. You're absolutely right. And um, just to put things in perspective, I'm 74 now. So mm. I grew up uh, at a time which was during um, pre definitely pre-apartheid, uh, whites only schools, this sort of thing. When I became a doctor, I went to work at, at the huge, the biggest hospital in the Southern Hemisphere in Johannesburg was called Baragwanath Hospital, and it was a hospital for the black community. So I was a white doctor working in a black hospital, and it was during that experience of working with these people when they began to, to uh, protest against education 
uh, all their educational difficulties they were having, and they were shot down by police. Uh, you know, these were school children walking in the streets to protest to have better educational standards. So I was on the receiving end as a medical doctor of children who had been shot by police, uh, and this shocked me to the core. I I couldn't understand what was going on. And in uh, you know, within the next year, I think it was, um, my husband and I decided that we had to leave this country. We could not uh, align ourselves politically with what was going on. It was just too shocking. Yeah. While you were growing up, and what were your was your parents' narrative about all of this? Because you are in the position of, of being somebody of privilege in that situation where you're white. You know, everything, the system is designed to work to your advantage. Exactly, exactly. And my father was a lawyer. Uh, my mother was a teacher. So I grew up in a very, what was would be regarded as a middle-class uh, privileged family. Um, and, you know, the, the way the apartheid system worked, we we never got to see the situation and conditions of black people because they were separated in their own in their own homelands and their own townships uh, and when they they would come to work and you would just see them silently working for you in whatever role they they uh, carried out gardener or housemaid or whatever and we had no contact with them we had no idea we didn't see them as people as people with families and this sort of thing it was a bizarre situation and that's why when I went to work uh, at the uh, hospital for black people and saw the conditions uh, that w- were created by politics, it, I found it extremely uh, uh, shocking and an eye-opener. I had no idea. Most of us were ignorant of this. Remember, yeah. South Africa also had no television until the late 70s. Wow. Um, so the, 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 actual, uh, the, the word could not be spread. You know, there was no way that we could find out. Yeah, I mean, I that's that's mind boggling to me. I did not know that. I, I can't imagine a country without access to television, which is you know one of our biggest forms of of media in terms of spreading messages. I mean, what is the impact of not having you know a communication medium like television be part of your culture for that long? Um, <laughs> I think it's a good impact, to be honest. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, because I grew up. Uh, 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 with access to, uh, obviously, nature, um, uh, fa- family gatherings were, you know, sing songs and, and that sort of thing, where the way we lived, we, we spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, and when I see children today who, who don't do any of that and where there's no communication between family members around a table, you know, that's what that's what we existed on was the connection with each other. And I really think that, you know, when I moved to the UK and began to discover television, I was hypnotized by it. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to watch what was, what was on the screen. And I realized how uh, disconnecting a force it can be as well. Yeah. So I, I was quite glad to have grown up without it. <clears throat> but then there's the, the downside, right? Which, like you the said, downside, people yeah. are unaware of the fact that, you know, black people are living in the conditions they're living you know, yes. probably 50% of the population in your own country and you don't know how they're living and you're unaware of what that is. Exactly. So, you know, before we get into, you know, your work at the hospital, I mean, what was your parents' narrative about growing up? I mean, you're a doctor and, you know, obviously being Indian, I'm sure there are a lot of Indians in South Africa, like for us, you know, becoming a doctor is sort of the default career path. Like that's the, the option that's put in front of us as this is the best possible thing you could do with your life. Um, what about your parents? What did they teach you about making your way in the world? What did they teach me about? Sorry, what was that? Uh, making your way in the world, like making in my terms way of, in the world. Yeah, you know, it 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 was a given. There, there there was no narrative other than you do well, you do your best at school, you you do go to university, you have no option, and you have to take medicine. Medicine ran in our family. My father was a lawyer, but his sister was a famous. Uh, uh, a medical doctor who who won all sorts of awards by running top hospitals, and I was just told you you're the one that's going to be the doctor, and and your brother's going to be the lawyer, uh, and there was less pressure on on my younger brothers and sisters. So it was a, a very um, closed minded uh, kind of uh, outlook in my family at, at any at any rate, and I didn't really want to do medicine. 
um, I wanted to write. I, I was much more interested in, in the arts, um, and mm. I wasn't allowed to do that. Uh, there was just no question. Well, I did yeah. medicine. Um, wow. So, I mean, obviously you went and did medicine and, you know, you've practiced medicine for many years. At some point, was there a point at which you embraced the fact that this is it? Because, I mean, you know, you didn't, obviously, you know, you've changed something about your career. I mean, how did that end up affecting the way that you practice medicine? I want, you know, once I did it, I gave my all to it because that's the kind of person I am. You know, once I was, I was in it, I thought, well, I'm going to make the best of it. And uh, I actually loved it, uh, and and that's why I chose general practice because basically I'm somebody that enjoys all ages and and, and all groups of people. I didn't want to specialize, you know. I'm not the sort of surgical type. I'm very much the family doctor type. And it was actually during the the zenith of my career when I I was uh, made a partner in a, a rural area in the UK called Cheshire, a very um, sort of top practice, top paying practice. And so I was very proud to, to be chosen to be the female partner of this, of this practice. But within a year of, of being in this practice, I began to have doubts about what I was doing. By now, I already had some children. They were small. But I was, be- I was beginning to feel as if I wasn't in the right place anymore. Mm-hmm. So that that's when it started. Yeah. So, so at its at, at its peak. <laughs> well, <laughs> tell me what it was like to have sort of been completely unaware of the conditions of black people, and then to go and you know work in a hospital where your patients are all primarily black. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, 
Your business is always at your fingertips. Well, I I found myself connecting very easily and very compassionately with them. I, I mean, the people who worked for us in our home, our as they called them in those days, our servants. We we had uh, two servants who worked for us uh, all the time. And I always got on and treated them uh, just as I did anybody else. I didn't feel particularly any kind of difference. So when I was a doctor for my black patients, I had immense uh, compassion and love for them and their problems and 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 had no real um, understanding of the, the politics until the eruptions uh, occurred, which was, I think, I can't remember the dates now, but the late 70s, 77, I think it was, or 78. Um, and, and that was an, a, a huge shock to me. I had no idea that this sort of thing could happen or would happen. And that made me immensely angry because I was very much on the side of of my patients and of these black people. I had no uh, problem about them at all. And what I realized also was that I wasn't safe anymore because I would drive home from the hospital in the middle of the night when my duties were finished. I worked in, in A&E and I'd be driving home and my car would be stoned uh, each time, each night during this time. And I realized that they saw me as a white face. They didn't see me as the doctor that was compassionate to their their fellows in, in the hospital. And I suddenly was faced in my 20s with this horrible reality that there is this thing between black and white, and it doesn't matter where you personally stand, you're probably going to be killed for the color of your skin. I mm. am and they are. It was a horrible reality to wake up to. Yeah. Well, talk to me about how you start to get to this point where you question the um, <clears throat> sort of, you know, tenets of Western medicine and, you know, typically what we do. Because, I mean, in this, you know, and I'm sure it's probably pretty much the entire Western world where you have a mental health ailment. The default at this point is, OK, let me prescribe some drugs and call it a day. And, you know, again, like as somebody who has ADD, I can honestly attest to the value of that um, because, you know, I, you know, having prescribed meds made a world of difference for me. And I also get that, you know, when we do things like antidepressants and, and we over medicate, like sometimes that also has consequences. So I'm just you know, curious, like where at what point did you start to question sort of Western medicine? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't questioning Western medicine while I was in it, or I wasn't questioning Western medicine ever. I just had a deep feeling deep in my bones that something wasn't right, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And um, because it's my tendency to go uh, to say, well, the problem has to be me then. I didn't see the problem as being pharmaceuticals or the way Western medicine was when I was in it. I just knew that I wasn't a good fit anymore. And the reason I wasn't a good fit was that what was happening was that I became a, a, an absolutely excellent doctor. I put myself in the role of family practitioner, you know, it gave it my best shot. And in order to also be better at it, I found that I wasn't very good at talking to patients. If they came in with uh, their depressions or, or their anxieties, I, I felt lost. So I went and trained in Gestalt psychotherapy as well. So I actually had two careers. I did Gestalt psychotherapy at night with private clients who came to the house, and then I did my GP work during the day. So I had, I had the entire range as I saw it uh, to be the best I can be. And what troubled me in the last 10 years of being in general practice with this added skill, what troubled me was that it didn't matter what I did, my patients were getting sicker. They're like, "Why? what's going on here? They've got the best pharmaceuticals that we've been able to develop. I'm the best doctor I can be, and yet they're not getting better. And that's what troubled me. I couldn't answer the question as to why. And mm. so I left. I began to realize that there had to be another way to help people get well again. I didn't know what it yeah. was. I didn't leave knowing. I left with a huge unknown, and I was really, you know, uh, I just had to leave. I, I had to find another way because I cared that much that people got better. Mm. So let's 
So talk about that. I mean, let's talk about this other way. I mean, talk to me about sort of the the foundation of all, all this work. Like, what is it? What's the premise of it? Right. Well, it it was a long journey. Um, it began by a, an awareness that I didn't have as a medical doctor uh, from reading a book by Bruce Lipton called uh, The Biology of Belief. A friend lent it to me and I thought, what a ridiculous title. How can belief have biology? And I was quite reluctant even to read it. Um, I was very much entrenched in, in a mainstream uh, mindset but I read it, and, and what he convinced me, he's a medical doctor, he's a research scientist in stem cell uh, research work uh, years ago, and, and, and what he claimed was that the cause of all our, our illness is 96% uh, outside of us. It's epigenetic. It's coming from some external source. It's not in the genes. And mainstream medicine claims quite differently they claim that many of the things that we're suffering from uh, are passed down genetically, and therefore that you, you you can do you can do not much about it. It's a kind of a hopeless scenario. If something is genetic, it can't be changed. Do you see? So once I got this sudden light of insight that oh my goodness, if things are caused externally to us, then there's hope for change. As long as I know how to how to change, you see. So I went out to study epigenetics and neuroscience and all the sorts of things that mainstream medicine was not uh, embracing at the time, certainly not teaching me. It was very much on the on the outside and uh, on the you know external to to anything I knew. And I, I set about for a few years studying uh, all these different ways, which come from mainstream. They're not non-scientific at all. They are very much scientific. And I had a completely different understanding at that point about why my clients and why my patients were not getting better. They were not getting better because they were being treated with pharmaceuticals, which I began to see only then, once I'd left, I began to see that this is just a, a Band-Aid put over a wound. It's not healing the cause of the wound. And that's why they don't get better you're just putting a bigger Band-Aid on with a better pharmaceutical rather than tackling the, the cause. And and that's I've always been somebody that wants to get to the bottom of things. And I suppose that that was that was the thrust of my my research from then on. I went set out to find out what makes us sick, what really makes us sick, not mm. genetics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had Bruce Lipton as a guest here. So let, let's take this into the context of something that maybe people listening to this understand. Let's just take two common um, ailments that I think we all, to some degree, feel anxiety and depression. Let's start with anxiety in particular, because I, I feel like anxiety is one of those things that seems very circumstantial for me, at least, where you all receive an email and it makes me anxious because I'm like, wait, I, you know, this is not something I was expecting or, or something like that. I mean, and of course, there are varying degrees of it. You know, some sometimes it's like, oh, this isn't a big deal. But talk to me about sort of, you know, looking at the work you do through the lens, lens of one specific ailment. And let's start with anxiety. All right. So um, acute anxiety is what you, you've described there, getting an email that's upsetting and you feel anxious for a bit. That's normal. <laughs> that That would be a normal response of your nervous system. The nervous system that responds automatically is called the autonomic nervous system. And and that will switch on, but if you've got a healthy nervous system, if it's not traumatized uh, in the past, then it recovers within four hours. So any any recovery from an, uh, an acute anxiety, maybe you've had a near smash in your car, you get home, you have a cup of tea, you recover. As long as you recover within four hours, there's nothing wrong with you. Okay, you've got a normal nervous system. It's the chronic anxiety, the the low-grade anxiety that a person carries day in, day out, uh, not particularly related to any cause uh, in, in, the, in the moment, but may well have been dated back. It, it always dates back to some severe trauma that has switched the nervous system on and left you in a state of chronic anxiety. And that's very difficult to recover from, very difficult on your own. The nervous system yeah. doesn't recover easily on its own. So let's talk. So how does how does one you know 
recover from this? Like, how how does your work help somebody, you know, rewire their nervous system then for, you know, a decreasing and, anxiety? And this is such a problem. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because I would say, oh, at least half the people who come to see me these days, that's their presenting symptom is, is anxiety. You know, not, not the acute kind, but the chronic kind. So so all anxiety is traced back to something that kick-started it. So, so it's usually a significant trauma. Um, uh, for example, maybe they lost their, their partner six months ago and they've been left with, with anxiety about it or it, it could be any number of things, a, a health crisis, a financial crisis, anything at all um, could could kickstart the system into being switched on. So, so here's the problem. Once the autonomic nervous system has been switched on in trauma, it's very difficult for it to switch itself off. It needs help. And there's very little in the world that can, can help. Uh, and this is why the state of chronic anxiety, chronic stress, chronic trauma is spreading massively because there's very little help to, 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 to get at the root cause of this. What can help, of course, is medication. You can take anti-anxiety medication and antidepressants, and it will relieve the symptoms to some extent. But as soon as you stop the medication, it's back. So it's not a cure, as I've said before. So how do I work with it? Well, I work with the trauma. I track back, when did the anxiety begin? Tell me about that. And then we have a look at the trauma. And uh, my work uh, that I've developed is about healing the problem at the subconscious level of mind. This is what Bruce Lipton came to find out, was that the subconscious level of mind is the big computer. It has all the power for change. And what he actually says is if you want to compare your conscious mind, you know, the mind that you're trying to make changes with, that's equivalent to a computer running at 4,000 bits per second. The subconscious mind where the power resides is 4 billion bits per second. So when I saw that, I thought I've got to find out how to work with the subconscious mind. And my my uh, QEC, quantum energy coaching, is able to do that. So I will sit with somebody and we'll see what the trauma is. And then we do trauma work around that, which is largely the thrust is forgiveness, forgiveness to what happened, forgiving myself for my part in it. And each of these sentences that the client and I will come up with together, uh, that they're happy to have, we will install them at that subconscious level of mind using the technique. The technique part of the session is the easy bit that comes at the end. And yeah. and what happens what happens is that trauma is healed and it's only needed to be done once. You don't have to keep repeating it. Uh, each session that I sit with a person, I will work with a different trauma. And the consequence of that is that their nervous system uh, becomes stable. It goes back into balance. The anxiety just disappears. If they've got an addiction, generally the drive for an addiction settles as well. So these are all the consequences of this work, which are very visible and very, you know, can be experienced in a relatively short time frame compared to, you know, the years and years of the psychotherapy that I used to do. That used to take years. And even then, sometimes people were still coming. So it's, it's relatively quick because we're working with a big computer. Yeah. Wait, so this makes me kind of wonder why you know, you have these people who basically do everything they can. It's like one self-improvement book after another. I mean, and I've asked this question in various forms to different people. Uh, you know, they are putting in all this effort to try to change, but they somehow just keep getting stuck in the same place or even worse, go backwards. Why does that happen? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. The, the, these cycles of getting stuck over and over again are because <clears throat> when, you, when you've been traumatized, what actually happens neurologically? Remember, I, I wasn't had to go and study neuroscience to understand this. And, and actually, um, what's his name? No, it's not Bruce. But anyway, um, the neuroscientist who does a lot of talking about how the brain is wired. Any, any stressful or traumatic event gets hardwired into the brain and you can't change it uh, you, you can't you can't make yourself change it consciously so that that is the source of the repetition so you will have these cycles of repetition whenever you get triggered or there's a reminder of say that car accident you see another car like yours that smashed uh, you know then then you get switched on back into the the memories and and, and the anxiety related to that event so what working at the subconscious level of uh, mind is able to do is it rewires the brain. It undoes that trauma wiring and it replaces it with new wiring. Yeah. And, and the real power in that is through forgiveness for what happened and then creating new sentences around trusting myself differently, feeling safe in myself around this, this uh, topic, uh, and, and, and describing myself as who I am now, as if I'd never had that trauma. And that whole um, piece of work is just in one session. I call it my trauma formula. It is a formula I've developed over four years, the last four years. And it, it's very effective in almost, it's almost like having surgery and taking that section of the brain out, you know, replacing it. And and, and then it's forgotten. You you almost forget it like it, it it's not there anymore. And you have new wiring, and your behavior is different moving forwards. You have brought, yeah, yeah, it, it does. You've mentioned forgiveness probably three or four times in our conversation. So I, I had to ask, why is that? Like, what is the role of forgiveness in all of this? So that's my South African background. I'm, I'm afraid. Um, you know, the, I eventually returned to South Africa 
after being out of the country for about 20 years when Nelson Mandela was freed from prison. And I I went to uh, be at the first voting and, and I was deeply moved by the change in the country. And my fear was that there would be bloodshed uh, in retaliation for all the wrongs of the decades before. And I actually moved back to live in the country to to participate politically, to participate medically. And what happened instead was there was peace. And the reason there was peace was that Desmond Tutu, Archbishop uh, Tutu, who was a friend of Nelson Mandela's, him and Nelson Mandela uh, worked out that if they could run something called a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where they brought the perpetrators and the victims into the same courtroom, it was an informal courtroom, and uh, they they went through a process of forgiveness. The perpetrators, the police who maybe shot the, the, the woman's child, uh, begged forgiveness for having done that. And, and, and the woman then, if she could and would, would give her forgiveness. And in fact, what actually happened was that there was real forgiveness it, it, within that scenario. People would move towards each other and cry and hug, and, and there was real healing. And it was that process over three years that I followed and watched and read about that moved me very deeply, and I really believe that forgiveness is the key to change. Uh, when you've had that kind of deep trauma um, that's taken place, so that's why where I got that from. Yeah, wow. I never, I'd never really thought of it before, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it just makes me think about resentment and you know how when we hang on to resentment, often to people who are no longer in our lives. I mean, it's kind of like rubbing salt in a wound. It kind of reminds me of something. Um, Amy Chan had said to me, you know, she said when you are going and looking at your exes pictures on Instagram. She's like, you're in a relationship with somebody who's no longer in one with you. Yes. Yes. The freedom that I've experienced, I, I should really just talk about myself, even though I've worked with thousands of with people and witnessed this too, but the freedom that you experience when you've released a trauma and all the baggage that goes with that is is just incredible. It really is. You know, it, it just... It, it's like a huge weight goes off and you're able to walk forward with confidence and trust again. It's, it's really, it's, it's a beautiful process. Yeah. Let's talk specifically about depression Um, because, you know, I kind of, I've heard it said in some form or another anxiety is basically your worry about the future and and depression comes from dwelling on the past. And um, yeah, I, I think there's some grain of truth to that, at least in my experience, but talk to me about how, you know, you get somebody over, depression because i mean i also think we have you know sort of like with anxiety you have you know, varying degrees of depression absolutely absolutely um I, i've changed my understanding of depression since i left medicine when i was a doctor i agreed understood depression to be uh, a diagnosis um saying that there's something wrong with your brain chemicals you you have too little of this or too much of that and the only uh, way that you can come out of that experience is to take an antidepressant, which will correct the chemical imbalance. And that's what I believed. That's what I was taught. Um, what I found myself, I went through a period of depress- depression uh, for many years when I lost my baby. What I found was that actually the antidepressants don't really work. Uh, they made me much worse. They gave me side effects and so on and so forth. So I was never very happy with that that idea, but I didn't have any other Now that I'm working in trauma, now that I understand the autonomic nervous system, what I understand depression to be is a position on the bell curve of the autonomic nervous system being switched on. And it's switched on to such an overwhelming degree that the person starts to numb out. And that's what the experience of depression is. There becomes a loss in motivation, a loss in living, a loss in doing anything, and the feeling that I'm depressed. But all that is is just a a position on the autonomic nervous system bell curve of response that has become chronic. Anxiety is lower down. If you if you could picture a bell curve um, on, on a piece of paper, the healthy place to be is at the bottom on the baseline. That's where your nervous system is healthy and normal and responsive. 
when you go into chronic anxiety, you go to the first part of the bell curve. It gets switched on, but it's not switched on that far. It's only switched on to anxiety. When your situation or the trauma is so awful that you become overwhelmed, what happens is that we can't cope with overwhelm very well. Our nervous systems just can't cope. So it moves to the next position, which is higher up, which is to cut off. And that's where people then disconnect from themselves. They disconnect from their feelings and they describe that experience as depression. But it's not a disease. It's not an illness. It's just a position of the nervous system. So I get people who will come to me because they've been referred with depression, right? And they're on their antidepressants and they come see me for QVC. And I start looking in the history and we start clearing some of their traumas. Within two or three sessions, they say, I'm not depressed anymore. I'm feeling fine. You know, can I stop my tablets? And I usually say, go and see your GP about that. It's not for me to to do that. But but the so-called depression, which they've had for eight years, is suddenly going in two sessions. Because what I'm doing is I'm bringing them out of the frozen, the state of freeze of the autonomic nervous system. So they're getting back in touch with themselves again. They can feel again. They're alive again. You mm-hmm. see? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the thing, having taken antidepressants, I remember I had a, a friend also who was another friend that I surfed with. And one of the the things that he told me, and I, I will be candid, like it made a world of difference for me because I was having trouble sleeping. Uh, I was waking up in the middle of the night with heart palpitations. Like I was in a, it was just a strange period yeah. at which I'd never, yeah. you know, had it be that bad. Like you know, one of my friends said, you know, you've always taken things hard. You had sort of, that I'd had this sort of low grade depression my entire life, which was true. Like it was something I noticed in my own life that, yeah, I had a tendency to, you know, over exaggerate, but like one particular breakup kind of just put me into a, a tailspin that took six months to come out of. It was kind of crazy. Um, and the thing that stayed with me that, that, you know, my friend said, and, and I noticed this too, particularly when I was surfing, he told me that the highs get high, you know, the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. And I noticed that of all places in the water, like the rush that I would get from riding a wave definitely didn't have the same effect that it did before I was on antidepressants. And I was like, well, that sucks. Um, but yeah, but the, the fact that the lows weren't as low was actually, you know, that was great. Yes, yes, yes. Well, absolutely. You see, the, the thing is that um, you've you got to do something. And, and this is why I'm sure the pharmaceuticals were developed, because they do help. They do help. Indeed, they do take away uh, the lows of that degree and sleeplessness and, and palpitations in the middle of the night and all of that. They certainly are effective. My situation with it is is really, um, if I can work with somebody, uh, I feel that that I don't need to to reach for that. I I found a, a way that doesn't involve pharmaceuticals. Unfortunately, those uh, antidepressants also can, you know, you tend to be on them a long time because they are, are also addictive. Uh, that's one of their properties, so it's quite hard to come off them. I know yeah. for me, it took a whole year to come off. Um, so, so my preference really is, I don't know, I'm, I'm really, I like to get to the cause. And the fact that I've been able to find something that, that is um, so effective once the cause has been found is, is really delightful, which is, is why I'm still, you know, working at, at, at my age rather than sitting on the beach watching surfers like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So with that in mind, um, you know, like, let's talk about the root cause, because I feel like so often I see this in every area of life. Like, you know, we've been teaching this knowledge management course on, you know, how to organize your digital life, largely centered around the fact that, you know, it's not actually digital distraction. That's the problem. It's the way that you organize information, which is the root cause. And this is just something I stumbled upon as a byproduct, my, my own interest in this field. And I thought, wow, we've built all these different tools to deal with these productivity issues. And yet the one issue you know, God, how many knows how many books have been written about productivity in the last 10 years. And yet the issue that nobody talked about is the fact that our way of organizing information is largely the cause of all these problems. But I, and I feel like that that's often the case in Western medicine is we always treat this in medicine in general. It's like, you know, we treat the symptoms, we ignore the cause. Um, so how do you get to the root cause of some of these things in your life? You know, like, for example, if you have low self-esteem, like where, how much of that is, oh, you know, your parents 
treated you a certain way, you were bullied, whatever it is. Like, and then of course, you know, letting go of that, which I think you've talked about, but um, how do you start to uncover that root cause of all these issues? All right. I don't think that, that you can do it on your own. That's the first uh, comment to make. Uh, I'm not sure I'd like to do it on my own, even though I did write a book uh, that was my own story. But that was after two and a half decades of Gestalt psychotherapy. I think it's very, very hard to track back in a painful area in the past and try and figure out what the problem is. So the the best is really done in in a a coaching or a a counselling setup where you're able to, with the help of somebody, who has the skill to uncover the root cause of, of where, you know, most of the stuff comes from. And and so so my work is basically very infused with the Gestalt counselling style and process. Uh, it's very respectful. It's very, um, it's, it's a beautiful holding space of presence, of being able to say, I, I hear you, I see you, I understand what you're telling me. Um, so, so basically, my sessions are, are 90 minutes long, and an hour of that is really just sitting, listening, and talking, you know. And then if there's any change to be done, we use the last third to to install some changes uh, with the gamma brainwave at the subconscious level. So, yeah. so yes, it's about being able to talk. It's, it's about telling your whole story, you know. It takes time. And sadly, medicine is a very quick, quick in our 10 minutes, you know, all you have per patient these days. So doctors are not hearing the stories. They haven't got time. Do you see what I'm saying? That, yeah, that was no, something I, I, I hate. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I saw a general practitioner for a while and it would be exactly like you said, 15 minutes, you know, in and out just you know, to go make sure that everything's fine and then refill the prescription. Uh, every six months, it's like, all right, here are your refills. Come back in six months. And then I had a doctor's visit where uh, through this app called Heal, they actually allowed, you know, you could have a home visit. And that woman spent an hour with me. And it was shocking. She yes. said, well, look, if we want to yes. get you off the meds, she was like, why don't we cut the dosage in half? And I'm like, I cannot believe the doctor had never made that suggestion in two and a half years. I was like, all right, let's start there. And then I ended up being on a surf trip in India. Um where, you know, I was so tired because that was largely the thing that was, you know, for me, the big issue was sleep. I was so tired at yes. the end of every day that I stopped taking, I, like, I forgot to take the meds. And when I came back, I didn't need them anymore. Wow. Okay. Wow. But what a difference for you to to spend an hour being heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a very different outcome. This This is... Uh, the, the, this was all what I felt. In fact, I, I tried to start doing this towards the end of my, the last year of my general practice. I was, was a, you know, in, a, in an area in the UK where people were, had been coming back from war, you know, the English, the British soldiers that had been sent back from Afghanistan and Iran and so on, were all living in caravans around uh, where, where I practiced. And these poor guys were so in, they had PTSD. They were trying to kill themselves every Friday night. I'd have to see them on a Monday morning. And in the end, I thought, this is crazy. I've got to speak to these people. This is before I developed my method, as I said. And I tried to do that. So I lengthened my appointments uh, three times a week or four times a week to to accommodate these people whose stories I needed to listen to. They, I, I needed to f- formulate a different approach. Them mm-hmm. and I was yeah. threatened by the senior partner when they found that that my appointment book was fully went to find out what's going on here. And the staff said, Well, she's doing giving out a whole lot of uh, lengthy appointments. And he called me in and he said, What are you doing? And I said, Oh, don't you want to hear? This is so such a really cool thing to do. You can sit and listen. He said, you, You're not employed to do that. You either get back to your 10 minute appointments or you leave. And that was actually the point at which I left. I left uh, at the end of that month. I decided I'm, I've got to, I, I, I can't be told to stop doing this anymore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So are we going to get to a point where people start to embrace this or is it just not feasible with our current structures um, in the way medicine is set up? Because, I mean, you know, in the United States, as much as we don't want to admit it, I'm maybe I, it's not no secret. Healthcare is not a public service. It's a business. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Well, I don't know what the future is, but what I do feel, I mean, I'm obviously in the UK and I see Mm. what's going on in Europe and I see what's going on globally in these last two and a half years, uh, uh, which is all about healthcare, isn't it? Yeah. I I think that everything has to change. And I think I think that the people will bring about change. I think that people are beginning to see that this is not serving them in every country in the world. I really do. Mm. I think more and more and more people are waking up that this is not serving them. This is not healthcare. Yeah. So how do we get you know, to a point where healthcare is preventative, because I, I feel like, you know, here, for the most part, healthcare is reactive. We don't bother with seeing a doctor until, you know, we're sick. Yes. It's not like going to the gym where you're constantly training to stay in shape. You basically, it's kind of like, you know what, the, the, maybe the perfect metaphor for this is you wait for the check engine light to come on before you actually go and get the car fixed. Excellent. Exactly, exactly. That's the way it is. And even then, things have got so bad in the mainstream facilities, in hospitals, in doctors' uh, consulting rooms, that you can't even go when when the light is on, go blinking red, because you can't get an appointment, because the, the system is blocked. I really think that things are falling apart. And I think that when that happens within within fields, within industries, within places like medicine, it's it, it, it's going to herald change. It has to. Um, yeah. You know, all the signs are there. All the signs are there. That medicine ha- has not been right from the beginning. And I, I believe personally, as I say, I've had to learn a lot since I left medicine. I didn't know any of this when I was, was, was working as a doctor. But I believe that the pharmaceutical industry has the stranglehold globally, not just in America, on medicine and 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 they're answerable and and in the service of the pharmaceutical industry, which is why the shift never moves towards preventive healthcare. Every initiative that has been tried, I I remember when I was trying it to try and prevent, you know, set up clinics to prevent people getting sick would would be shut down, would mm. would, would be frowned against or stopped. Yeah. So I think the problem is that that the big business stranglehold is is really behind it all. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that people will, you know, see that and eventually it will, it will topple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, because, you know, I, I know this cause I've done a few speaking engagements for pharmaceutical companies and I'm always stunned at how much I get paid for, you know, the amount of work that's involved. And I, then I kind of did the math and I was like, okay, let me just take one drug and multiply it by, you know, a million people who take that drug, you know, multiply that times 12 months, and this is one drug that they make. I'm thinking, okay, so these guys basically just print money all day long. Yes, yes, yes. That's unfortunately uh, what's happening. But the world is waking up. We're finding out about this thanks to programs like yours, thanks to internet, you know, not, not mainstream media. I wouldn't like to say that thanks to that. I, I don't think that that's unbiased at all. Mm-hmm. Putting yeah. it mildly. Hmm. Well, okay. So that that actually brings up an interesting sort of question, right? Like, thanks to to shows like mine. The the flip side of that is that there is a danger to sort of you know mistaking anecdotal evidence for science, which you know that's I, I think the internet is notorious for causing people to do that. Um, how like what is your way of addressing that because you know you're right like you happen to be a medical doctor so your credibility obviously is significantly higher i mean you you know this from having listened to the show like i basically will call people on it and you know we had uh john petrotelli petrotelli here wrote a book called the life-changing science of detecting bullshit because there's so much advice out there particularly when it comes to health and wellness that doesn't really have any basis in actual science and frankly is bullshit yes and yet millions of people buy into it because enough people believe the bullshit <laughs> if, if it's sold well enough yes yeah and people who sell bullshit are very good at selling it <laughs> yes i completely agree with you so so your question is how do you know the difference yeah, that's it. I mean, you as a doctor, I mean, when you see these people follow this sort of, you know, advice, d- doesn't it worry you? 
Well, <laughs> the, uh, well I, can, I can only speak to how I know the difference and the kind of things that I'm teaching my students that I train. I believe that we've, we're living in a world where you cannot trust the intellect anymore because the intellect can be messed about with, played with, manipulated to such a degree that you'll never know. So the, the way through is to use intuition and to make a judgment or a judgment call from moving into your heart center. So, mm-hmm. so this is part of what I, I train people to do as, as my therapists who, who work for me. No. Move into your heart center and then and, 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 and access your intuition and decide, is this right for me or is it wrong for me? And trust that because it's the only thing that we can trust these days. We can't trust, can't really trust anything else that comes from the intellectual channel. Mm. Amazing. Uh, well, I have one final question for you, which I know you've heard me ask if you've listened to the show, and that is, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? That's a tough one, using the word unmistakable. There, there are other words that's, that would be a lot easier. I don't think that there are any people that can be unmistakable, to be perfectly honest. I think we're all um, in our humanity open to all kinds of mistakes all the time. Yeah, I've just been through a whole week waking up to all my recent mistakes and I thought I was really right about something and discovered that I, that I wasn't. And so I'm eating humble pie this week. So I don't think that any human being can be considered unmistakable, but there are truths. There are truths, I think, that, that come from um, the higher traditions, the higher levels of consciousness that I would recognize as an unmistakable truth. That would be something that would interest me and that if, if it resonated with me from the heart level, I would go, that is unmistakable. That truth, that path, that that comment that was said there. So, so it's more in that level rather mm. than in, in, in the person. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your insights, and your wisdom with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything else that you're up to? I guess just my website, which is uh, qeciliving.com. Qeciliving.com, all one word. That's my website. And there's access on there to me. Uh, People can can contact my uh, website. secretary and she can arrange a a meeting with me if you want uh of course we've got practitioners all over the world as well on the website there there are many in america as well yeah amazing um well thank you so much for taking the time to join us and share your wisdom story and insights with our listeners you are very welcome i thoroughly enjoyed it thank you amazing thank you very much and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.